It's September 1st, 2017. This is the Room Now Week in Review. I'm Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. A lot going on in our world. Uh, at the top of the news, I think we should talk about um, the Hurricane Harvey that's hit the south coast of Texas, Texas where I'm from. I was unaffected in Dallas, but many were. I would really strongly urge you to go to the link on the website to donate to the American Red Cross. Or if you just want to text the word Harvey to 90999, you'll be donating $10 to the cause, a very worthwhile cause. I also want to remind you to be on the lookout for our ACR 2017 coverage. We've been working hard to change the way we do that, to expand what we do, to really excite you so that you can see uh, what's going on from our viewpoint. Uh, that's coming up. It's going to be quite exciting. So top of the news, 25 studies have looked at patients who have, a, um, uh, who are, have rheumatoid arthritis who are going to get therapy, and it shows that basically there's a very low risk of hepatitis B reactivation when you have a history of, of chronic um, or a resolved HBV. Those are patients who are hep B surface antigen negative and hep B core antibody positive, suggesting they've seen the, the virus in the past and have, have, have a resolved infection. The chance of reactivation looking at a large number of studies is 1.6%, which is really quite encouraging, and it's really not any higher if you take a biologic or specifically a TNF inhibitor. So it seems that you can use a TNF inhibitor in those patients, but you must use it with caution. Our friend and colleague Len Calabrese tweeted that, remember that while hep B reactivation is really quite rare, it is also preventable. So you still need to worry about these patients, check their LFTs, look at viral loads. If you think that they're really immunosuppressed beyond rheumatoid arthritis, they probably should see a hepatologist and consider background antiviral therapy before going on a biologic agent. A study of geriatric patients, specifically 1,667 geriatric patients who had septic arthritis were matched uh, 10 to 1, 10 um, elderly people um, uh, and then versus uh, the one who had the septic arthritis and showed that um, the chance of death with septic arthritis in the elderly has increased 50 to 100%, suggesting that um, not only is it a poor candidate to get such infections, but the outcomes are striking. So aggressive treatment is needed there. The New York Times has reported that the FDA is announcing a, uh, a crackdown on the unscrupulous practices being seen in many stem cell clinics across the United States. We wrote about this before. Um, as you know, there are clinics, mainly orthopedic clinics, but a lot of uh, other disciplines in medicine are getting into this regenerative medicine movement where they're taking the patient's cells, whether it be from fat, bone, or bone marrow, putting them to culture, repurposing them, you know, uh, tricking them up a little bit, and then injecting them back into the patient to resolve something calling this um, stem cell therapy. A lot of these, uh, there have been adverse events and serious adverse events associated with this. The FDA is of the position that, that in some of these clinics, some of these practices are, um, are unscrupulous, some of them are dangerous, and that what they're giving back to patients isn't a blood product, but in fact qualifies as a drug or biologic. So this is going to fall under the scrutiny of the FDA. A study of an uncontrolled study of severe ocular bichette showed that when they were treated with TNF inhibitors, only about half of them respond to TNF inhibition. Only half of these stay in remission over time. That's been my experience in using bichettes. Um, I don't see a lot of ocular severe bichettes, so uh, in that situation, there has been some literature to suggest it may work. But otherwise, a lot of bichettes with uh, mucocutaneous involvement and joint involvement, they don't respond to TNF inhibitor, in my opinion. 
Uh, an analysis of the ep epidemiology of lupus uh, worldwide shows that really the incidence and prevalence of lupus varies quite a bit worldwide. Um, but overall, it seems that the incidence is increasing over time. It seems that there are higher frequencies in African Americans, especially from North America, where the rate of lupus is 20, 23 per 100 patient years. It is lowest in, Af in Africa, interesting, in Ukraine and Northern Australia. Uh, a study coming from the endocrine world shows that untreated sleep apnea increases uh, uh, diabetes, basically, and the metabolic syndrome. Um, they looked at this in several ways, including taking patients who were on uh, CPAP and taking them off and seeing what happened to certain biologic measures. And they showed that untreated sleep apnea increased free fatty acids, glucose levels, cortisol levels, and blood pressure, which we know about. So again, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time uh, treating and managing sleep and getting patients to go to get studied for sleep apnea, many of whom are resistant. Um, but it, it is something that we should initiate as rheumatologists. Uh, a lot of regulatory information in this week's news. At the top of the list, maybe the most important is that the FDA approved its first gene therapy. This is CAR-T uh, therapy. It's called Chimera, K-Y-R-M-I-A-H from Novartis, $475,000 of treatment, thank you. Uh, and this is being approved for the um, treatment of young adults under age 20 who have refractory B-cell ALL, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, as you know, has a, a high mortality rate. If those patients don't respond to conventional therapy, it's about estimated about 15-20%, they're giving this CAR-T therapy. That's a chimeric antigen receptor that targets, uh, where they, uh, that's injected into the patient's cells, a specific gene that does that, and basically um, causes T cells to go after the target uh, B cells, CD19 B cells specifically, to kill them. It kills normal cells. There's a lot of toxicity or symptom management that goes on with this is a strong uh, a risk of developing uh, the cytokine release syndrome. And, and at the same time that the FDA approved this drug, they also approved Actemra, uh, which inhibits IL-6, to manage the, uh, uh, the, the uh, cytokine release syndrome with a dramatic reduction uh, in toxicity and severity and time of, uh, of those events. So two drugs being approved at the same time to treat acute ALL. The FDA has also um, um, made a turnabout in its decision about baricitinib. As you know, we reported in July that the FDA was rejecting baricitinib's uh, application, citing an imbalance in thromboembolic events in those that were receiving the high dose of baricitinib, uh, where they saw five cases and no cases in the low dose, two milligram, or in the placebo patients, in the placebo-controlled portion of the study with 3,000 plus patients. Um, the speculation was that they're going to have to start over. They may have to do studies. This is going to delay the approval of the drug to either 2019 or 2021, depending on who you read. Um, but in negotiations and discussions with the FDA, Lilly and Insight um, have announced that they're going to resubmit a new NDA for baricitinib in January of 2018. The FDA will have six months to review that data uh, and come back with a decision about baricitinib, which, as you know, is an oral jack inhibitor that um, is a once-a-day dosing um, is felt to be um, uh, you know, a big player. This changes the mix. Right now, we only have one JAK inhibitor, tofacitinib. There's filgotinib and um, uh, uptacitinib, or uh, the, the one from uh, ABT494 uh, from um, AbbVie, uh, and those are in development. Those are, we're going to jump ahead of, of baricitinib. Now, they're probably going to be a little bit behind baricitinib if baricitinib goes through the process and can explain that those venous 
thromboembolic events probably are at a rate that is commensurate with what's seen in RA patients who have an increased risk of venous thromboembolism. Um, another uh, regulatory action, the, uh, much to my surprise, I didn't know this was brewing, but another adalimumab biosimilar was approved from um, Beringer Ingelheim this week by the FDA. It's called Siltezo, C-Y-L-T-E-X-O. Um, anyway, um, again, it's not likely that's going to hit the market anytime soon. There's a lot of litigation going on with this and Amgevita, the other adalimumab biosimilar from Amgen um, and litigation over patent protection and whatnot. It's going to be a while before we see an adalimumab biosimilar. Um, certainly not in the next six months would be my estimation. Uh, Kanakinumab was a nice uh, report that was, we've been waiting for. There's uh, several reports going on in the, in the cardiology literature where they're testing the hypothesis that control of inflammation will control the risk of cardiovascular events. So we have trials going on in methotrexate and plaquenil and this study, the Canto study, it, with an IL-1 inhibitor, uh, Kanakinumab. So the results of that were published at, um, presented at a meeting in Spain, a um, cardiology meeting in Spain, and also published on New England Journal showing that canakinumab given to, to 10,000 patients with, who are at high risk for cardiovascular events. They've had a prior MI. They have an elevated high-resolution CRP level greater than 2 milligrams per liter. Um, and they're followed over, I think it was two years, and actually it's 3.7 years of follow-up. And they showed that the overall, those who received either 150 milligrams or 300 milligrams of canakinumab every 12 weeks had a um, 16, 15% reduction in cardiovascular events. That was significant. Uh, and it was just not only the events, but death from cardiovascular uh, events were also seen. Uh, another offshoot to the study showed that those who were treated with canakinumab also had a lower risk of lung cancer both the onset of incident lung cancer and death from lung cancer was lower in patients who were taking, and there the reductions, I believe, were close to 50% reductions. Uh, these are all interesting results. The problem is the canakinumab, as priced currently, is over $115,000 a year, and so it's not likely it'll be used as routine prophylaxis for cardiovascular pre uh, uh, prevention, um, nor for cancer prevention. So we need to understand the biology of what's going on here or um, find other ways to use IL-1 inhibition um, to these benefits. Uh, this uh, current issue of the uh, arthritis and rheumatology, used to call it arthritis and rheumatism, I don't think that was a good change, but A&R, let's call it, um, has three articles devoted to the topic of shingles vaccination. Uh, the first one comes from Kevin Winthrop and Jeff Curtis, who did a study in 112 patients who were, were going to receive tofacitinib, and they were randomized to receive either live virus vaccine or placebo, and they showed that it was safe to use the live virus vaccine um, and then wait two or three weeks and then give tofacitinib with no untoward reactions. The only untoward reaction seen in this trial was one patient who developed, developed disseminated herpes zoster, and that patient had uh, no innate immunity to zoster. They, 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 when they checked, there was this was basically um, first-time exposure for that patient. Uh, and so that rare event was, was seen in this trial, but overall it looks like that practice of vaccinating before uh, the use of tofacitinib was uh, quite efficacious. Uh, and that's currently my practice. Not only do I do this in patients over the age of 60 who are eligible to receive the vaccine, I urge anybody 
under the age of 60 who needs this to- this drug to get uh, the live virus vaccine uh, as soon as possible, whenever possible. Um, there are two other reports. One was it's a regenerative review of the large number of studies done with tofacitinib showing that the rate still is consistent at about four um, zoster events per 100 patient years. Most of these were uh, involving one dermatome and weren't serious involving the eye and et cetera. Uh, that the rates were higher in certain regions, such as Southeast Asia and I think the Ukraine, uh, and then also um, were higher in patients who took steroids. Uh, And then the last one was uh, an editorial that I wrote um, called um, Fear Fear the Infection, Value the Solution uh, when it comes to herpes zoster. Uh, In it, I review who's at risk, um, how these patients should be approached, and the practice of vaccinating, which is patients need to be off of biologic therapies for at least two weeks and maybe as much as four weeks uh, and then um, receive the vaccine and then they can go ahead and get the the, the, the biologic restarted, the tofacitinib restarted uh, two weeks later. So again, be off for, vaccinate, and then restart two weeks later is the practice advocated by the CDC um, and many. Um, Please be sure to take a, check out our, our new therapeutic updates. The last one we posted was with Phil Meese, um, Alan Gabowski, and myself commenting on five questions on the FDA hearing regarding the use of tofacitinib in psoriatic arthritis, where it seems like that's going to get approved, and it'd be interesting to hear the perspectives of those who are either there or view the results and have some perspective by being past FDA members such as uh, Gibo and myself. Um, So that's it for this week at roomnow.com. I'll leave you with these words of wisdom. The job is not you, nor is your income car or good looks. You are your principles and what you do when those principles are called into question. I dreamed up this little quote. It's, I kind of wrote it, but I wrote it after listening to a podcast by Malcolm Gladwell, uh, who has a podcast called Revisionist History. The link is on the website. Um, The podcast in particular that uh, led to this um, almost thoughtful uh, quote uh, was about a doctor in at the Mayo Clinic who spent his life doing research on diet and the role of, uh, of a fatty diet in cardiovascular disease and that um, uh, many years after his death, the solution, the answer to the question was found in his basement. So it's called, the episode is called The Basement Tapes. It is about um, values and work ethic and and about principles. See you next week. This is roomnow.com.